getting those protein rich plant foods is really important. Like tempeh, tofu, beans, legumes, lentils, nuts and seeds. Those are all really great sources and even whole grains have protein in them. You have more power over your health than what you've been told. This is the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions Podcast. I'm Maya Acosta, and I'm passionate about finding healthy lifestyle solutions to support optimal human health. If you're willing to go with me, together we can discover how simple lifestyle choices can help improve our quality of life and increase longevity in a big way. Let's get started. Well, friends, I had a wonderful conversation with Kaylee Anderson. She's a registered dietitian who contributed to a few guides related to lifestyle medicine. And one of them is the Lifestyle Medicine Handbook for ACLM, as well as the Plantrition's Quick Start Plant-Based Nutrition Guide. So let's learn a little bit about Kaylee. With over a decade of experience in plant-based nutrition, culinary education, and lifestyle medicine, registered dietitian Kaylee Anderson knows how to help people live a healthier life. She believes a plant-based lifestyle should be simple, pleasurable, and sustainable. Kaylee has worked with folks from all walks of life, but she specializes in supporting women on their plant-based journey. She's the founder of the brand new site, Plant-Based Mavens, a hub for women to get evidence-based, practical, and woman-centered guidance on plant-based nutrition and cooking, hormone health, fertility, pregnancy, movement, mental well-being, non-toxic living, and more. In addition to supporting women in their nutrition and cooking practices, Kaylee is also passionate about helping women heal from the impacts of diet culture and learn to incorporate herbal medicine into their wellness routines. Kaylee is board certified in lifestyle medicine and serves as the faculty of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine's Food as Medicine course. She is chair of ACLM's Registered Dietitian Member Interest Group, secretary of the Women's Health Member Interest Group, and nutrition faculty for many of ACLM's other course offerings. She's the author of the Plant based nutrition quick start guide and has worked with organizations like Blue Zones, Engine 2, and Full Plate Living to develop nutrition content, recipes, and educational programs. She speaks on the topics of women's health and plant-based nutrition and has co-authored two lifestyle medicine textbooks, including the first one on women's health, Improving Women's Health Across Lifespan. Kaylee holds a master's degree in nutrition and physical performance, and she's certified as an exercise physiologist and intuitive eating counselor. She lives in Colorado, where you'll find her on a trail or in a garden. Let's welcome Kaylee. Thank you so much for having me, Maya. Well, I'm excited to have you. There's so much information that you are going to share with my listeners that I think is very important, especially because you are a dietitian. Um, I've said in the past that I tend to have a lot of health coaches that come on and physicians that come on, but the registered dietitian, that's the person that I always want to speak with. Um, so thank you for being here. And also I have three books that I mentioned in the introduction. So you contributed to the Lifestyle Medicine Handbook. This is one of them. And I believe that anyone can purchase this book on Amazon. Am I correct? Yep, that's right. Anyone can can get that one. Okay. And then this one is is designed more for healthcare providers who work with uh, women. So improving women's health across the lifespan. Yep. And you can also get that one on Amazon. Oh. I know it's a little uh, dense for those who aren't <laughs> into the science, but I know lots of people who have purchased it who aren't healthcare providers. Okay. That's great to hear because <laughs> I want to encourage the ladies to go out there and buy this book for themselves. And I, um, you know, Kaylee, I have been going through the various chapters because I've been hosting some of the uh, contributors on my podcast. Uh, so we've spoken about menopause. We, we're going to be speaking more on fertility as well and other topics, even community. And so I've been going through it. And yes, there is a lot of science, but for the most part, the actual content that is important to us is, is fairly easy to understand and to read. And it's great content. I'm, I'm glad that all the references are there for people that want to follow up. <laughs> If you're not yes. a healthcare provider, like you said. And then finally, um, the Plantation Projects Plant-Based Nutrition Quick Start Guide. This is the one that I, I've said to you, Kaylee, that um, it's the one that I picked up in 2018. 
And this is when I learned, oh, wow, I'm not really eating very clean as a vegan. And so I thank you so much for that quick start. Can we start off by talking about how people can obtain this copy? Yeah, so that is um, published by the Plantrition Project. So you can go to plantritionproject.org and uh, you can you know, submit your email address and you'll get a, a digital copy of it. And then if you want to share it with other people, if you're a healthcare provider, you want to give it to patients, or maybe you just like to spread this information to your friends and family, then you can actually order hard copies like the one that you just uh, held up. Yes, absolutely. And I like what you just said about um, whether it's for yourself or someone that you love. I uh, went through it and it answers a lot of the questions that we'll actually be answering today. So concerns about calcium, concerns about protein. Um, It explains what the standard American diet is for people that are new to this lifestyle. Sometimes I think maybe that needs to be clarified a little bit. What do we mean by the standard American diet? And then there's some recipes in here. It even tells you how to get started in terms of what to have in the kitchen, in the pantry, in your refrigerator, how to do groceries. Oh, my goodness, you need to get this. Um, uh, So now let's start from the beginning, Kaylee. How in the world did you become involved with the Plantrition Project, with the American College of Lifestyle Medicine and all the work that you're doing now? Yeah, so... I grew up in the Midwest, so I certainly didn't grow up on a plant-based diet. I grew up on kind of typical Midwestern fare, lots of restaurant food and meat and potatoes and canned vegetables, that sort of thing. Uh, But I was always really curious about food and started cooking and, and kind of exploring food and health when I was in high school. And then when I went on to study nutrition, you know, I experimented with lots of different things. I would buy raw food cookbooks and just lots of different uh, types and styles of eating just to kind of uh, see what they were about. Um, But I had a professor in graduate school who shared the research with me. So a lot of the cornerstone studies that we cite in plant-based nutrition, Dr. Esselstyn, Dr. Ornish, Dr. Barnard studies. Uh, So that professor shared those those uh, studies with me and that really changed everything, you know, to see the the true power of food uh, really shifted my perspective and, and kind of sent me on uh, that journey. And then, you know, the way that I got involved in the nutrition project out of grad school, I knew I didn't want to go into a conventional setting after learning all of that information. Uh, so I actually started my own personal chef company and I would go into people's homes and I would cook for them teach them about nutrition and then teach them how to cook and kind of slowly wean them off of my cooking. And, uh, you know, when, when I was doing that, I was uh, lucky enough to cross paths with Susan Benegas, who is one of the co-founders of the Plantrition Project. Uh, and she was getting ready to put together the quick start guide and asked me if I wanted to help with that. So kind of the rest is history after that. What a blessing for you to come upon her, to meet her and get involved so quickly in it early in your career, also so quickly in this way of living and and being a great contributor. And and I did say that I feel like there are not enough registered dietitians out there. So we're very blessed to have you um, speaking with us today. Now, so you've done all those contributions. And I mentioned in the intro that you're very involved in other interest groups for the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. One of the things that you've created is the plant-based mavens. Can you tell us about that? And why did you create it? Yeah, sure. So that is something that I very recently launched. So it's new, but it's been kind of percolating for a while now. And, you know, there's a lot of male energy in the plant-based nutrition and lifestyle medicine space and in medicine in general. And that's no disrespect to those men who have really, you know, paved the way and done a lot of, you know, wonderful things for the field of plant-based nutrition and lifestyle medicine. But I always felt like there was, uh, you know, the women's voices were lacking a little bit. And there are certain, you know, things about women's health, about the experience of being a woman, how that affects our health and our and how we receive health care uh, that only women can understand. And so I really just wanted to create a safe space that was women-centered, where women could go get information about plant-based nutrition, about lifestyle medicine, you know, that really speaks to them, that really looks through the lens of the different concerns and, you know, phases and things that, that you go through as a woman. 
This is wonderful. Now, can anybody join? And is it a website and a Facebook group? Yes. So anyone can, you know, come be part of it. It's, you know, written for kind of the the average woman. So, um, you know, there, there's not a lingo that will be over anyone's head. Uh, and it's a website. So plantbasedmavens.com. Um, there's recipes, there's articles, and I will continue to add to that. And then I do plan to start a Facebook group as well. So we can start some conversations and people can ask questions and um, we can kind of build community that way. Oh, well, thank you for creating this. I'm very excited about it. Uh, So I'm part of several other groups, Facebook groups, and you are right in terms of women being a little bit more involved in everything. So they tend to be the ones that are asking questions about health, uh, about how food impacts their health. They're the ones asking about recipes, but what you've created is a little bit more exclusive for women, like you said, to feel safe. And I really like that. I'm looking forward. I I already signed up and I'm looking forward to connecting with other ladies. And also you, you know, you mentioned that it's very, there's a lot of male energy in this world of the plant-based lifestyle. And so I agree that uh, I feel like when I'm speaking to my listeners, the majority of my listeners are women. And I feel that when people like yourself come on the show, I feel like I'm adding a little extra for them because we're specifically having this conversation for you, the woman who wants to improve your health. And so I I, I thank you for that. Moving along, uh, speaking about how nutrition impacts women, what are some of the unique benefits for women who eat plant-based diet? Yeah, so there are very many. And that's another reason why I wanted to create Plant-Based Havens is to help women adopt a plant-based style of eating in a way that keeps them healthy, that meets their needs as, you know, all the different, um, you know, changes and phases that we go through from pregnancy to menopause and, you know, to provide that information because there are a lot of wonderful benefits. And, you know, sometimes we see women embark on a plant-based diet and then they run into pitfalls because they're not meeting their nutrient nutrient needs. So I want, you know, don't want that to, to happen because it can certainly be a really healthy way uh, for women to eat. It can, you know, help with healthy microbiome, support the immune system, um, lower risk of a lot of chronic diseases, of course. And women are actually slightly more likely than men to um, have more than one chronic disease. So that's really important for women. And it also helps lower the risk of a lot of reproductive health conditions. So things like endometriosis and PCOS. It can also enhance fertility. Um, and, you know, plant-based foods contain a lot of the nutrients that are really important for women's health, which we can get into a little bit in a little bit more detail. So those foods, you know, really provide the nu- nutrition that women need. Great. As you're speaking about all the ways that nutrition can improve our health, I'm thinking of um, young women So when you start off very early on with, say, perhaps acne or menstrual cramps, depending on when you start menstruating, those are things that we can tackle very early on. And and if we share this information like you're doing with your plant-based mavens and all the other work that you're doing, if we can share this with women, they can share this with their children, with their girls, and hopefully prevent a lot of these conditions Um, you've talked about PCOS as well. And um, I've known several people in my life who suffer from PCOS and this is preventable. Women do not have to have PCOS. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that kind of gets at the marginalization that happens in healthcare with women where a lot of our symptoms are dismissed or things like cramps and, um, you know, PMS are, you know, said to be just normal, but really, you know, women go through a lot of pain and, you know, a lot of suffering when, when they, um, you know, experiencing those things and to have that as a society, just be seen as normal and we shouldn't talk about it or complain about it. And even dismissed in healthcare, if you try to go and, you know, get some answers, like you said, plant-based foods can actually help early on to ameliorate a lot of those symptoms and prevent a lot of those symptoms. 
Exactly. So fertility affects younger women. It seems like it's becoming an issue uh, for younger and younger women and nutrition probably is also playing a huge role uh, when it comes to that. Okay. So are there any specific things that plant-based women should keep in mind? For example, any nutrients that they should pay special attention to? Let's dig into that a little bit more. So for fruits and vegetables, of course, emphasizing those, that's usually my first step with women because they're so antioxidant rich and a lot of conditions um, and symptoms that women experience are related to inflammation or an inflammatory state in the body. So those fruits and vegetables can be really help, uh, helpful. And I specifically recommend that women emphasize leafy greens, cruciferous vegetables, which are things like broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, cabbages, citrus, and also berries. And that's because those groups of produce are rich in vitamin A and folate and vitamin C and calcium, which are all really important nutrients uh, for women to consider. Um, also fiber, that's kind of step two when I'm working with women is to start kind of thinking about fiber and that can help with the microbiome and immune system and also reducing that um, inflammation and oxidative stress. And then one that, you know, maybe sounds a little controversial is just making sure that women get enough fats. So there is a lot of um, emphasis on very low fat diets and decreasing fats in plant-based nutrition. But for women and particularly premenopausal women, it's important that they are getting enough fat. So it is possible to overly restrict um, that nutrient. So um, you know, we're talking about healthy fats here. So monounsaturated and polyunsaturated fat sources, avocado, nuts, seeds, things like that. Um, and diets below 15% fat are actually, actually associated with menstrual cycle disruption in female athletes. So it's really an important one that we, you know, want to pay attention to because once you start really decreasing fat, it's difficult for premenopausal women to get all the nutrients they need, to get the essential fatty acids they need, to get the fat-soluble vitamins that they need. That's great to know. There was something that you touched on when you were going or on um, speaking about inflammation. I wanted to talk about fibrocystic breasts, and I wasn't sure if that's something that um, you can talk to us about in terms of how foods affect us, but I know that I struggled with that when I was younger, and I was told it was really because of my camp caffeine intake. Any idea you happen to know what contributes to fibrocystic breasts? Yeah, that's not something that I know a lot about, but you know, I would imagine that it could be related to hormone imbalances, which a lot of the symptoms and, and issues that women have are related to hormone imbalances, um, which again, a plant-based diet and lots of fruits and vegetables and lots of fiber can help uh, with that. And also fats. That's another, you know, important place where the, the healthy fats come in because our hormones are, are made of fats. And so um, it's important that we're getting enough. Okay. Again, we, we go back to the fats and I'm so glad that you mentioned that. We will at some point speak about um, disordered eating and how we as women sometimes tend to restrict. And uh, that's part of what kind of contributes to all the other health problems that we have is that we're not taking in enough nutrients and enough fats that we need for our body to, to be optimized. Um, before we get there, can we talk about some of the common questions uh, that come up around the plant-based nutrition? Sure. Yeah. So one that we often think of related to women's health is bone health, because that is a concern for a lot of women, because as we age, as our estrogen production decreases, we do lose some of our bone mineral density. So protecting that is important. And what do people think of when they think of bone health? They think of calcium and then they think of dairy, right? But dairy actually isn't necessarily the best way for us to get our calcium. And it isn't as connected to bone health as you know we've been led to believe by marketing. Uh, and there are a lot of plant-based foods that are really rich in calcium. And I'm sure that you and your listeners have heard this before, but just thinking about you know how does that cow get its calcium. It, you know, eats grass and eats plants, uh, which is rich in calcium. And then that calcium is in the milk. So we can just go straight to the plant-based sources. So with women, you know, I, I want them to focus on calcium rich foods. And I usually recommend like six mini servings of calcium rich foods a day, um, kind of spread throughout the day. And that might sound a little bit daunting, but it's really, you know, foods that we're probably already eating if we're eating a plant 
plant-based diet, things like leafy greens, uh, maybe a fortified plant-based milk, uh, beans, nuts, dried fruit, nut and seed butters, all of those things are rich in calcium. And when I say a mini serving, we're talking about a half a cup of leafy greens or a half a cup of beans or two tablespoons of uh, tahini, for example. Yes. Now, when I think of calcium, I think of greens. I mean, other foods, just like you listed, but I always think of the greens. Is it true mm-hmm. that consuming milk can actually cause our system, our body to leach the calcium from our bones? Yeah, that is, um, you know, kind of a theory that calcium or that uh, milk, like the protein in milk can actually cause an acidic environment and leach the calcium uh, from our bones. So that is possible if you're consuming a lot of dairy. I think the key is that you know, fracture risk in dairy is not uh, as connected as we, you know, have been led to believe. So it isn't as, you know, aligned with uh, bone health as you might think. Okay. The other topic that I think is very important when speaking about spinach and um, some of the foods that have oxalates is that that's a great concern. I know an individual who suffered with stones, kidney stones, Mm -hmm. and uh, had a lot of health issues before going plant-based, then went plant-based and started overdoing it with the smoothies and continued to have a lot of problems. So he decided that it was best to move away from the plant-based lifestyle because of the Mm -hmm. oxalates. And Mm -hmm. I just, no matter how much I try to explain it, it just broke my heart because I thought there's so much misinformation. And I can't imagine how many people are having this idea that, you know, green leafy vegetables are bad for us. So can you explain what are oxalates and how do they impact our body? And should we Mm -hmm. even be concerned? Sure. Yes. It breaks my heart when I hear stories like that too, because uh, I think we often micro focus on these little pitfalls or or things to know about in a plant-based diet when, um, you know, there are lots of those within the standard American diet um, or even a healthier, you know, version of the standard American diet. So oxalates are a compound in um, some plant-based foods that can inhibit calcium absorption or decrease your body's ability to absorb the calcium. And uh, you mentioned leafy greens. So the big three that we think of with oxalates are beet greens, spinach, and Swiss chard. And so it's not that we shouldn't eat those foods. Those are certainly okay to include those foods in your diet. You just shouldn't rely on them as a calcium source. So they shouldn't count as one of your six mini servings. And, um, you know, it's okay to eat a spinach salad or, you know, to cook with Swiss chard, but, um, you know, making sure that you're not eating that at every single meal because that could interfere with calcium absorption. But there's actually research that shows that the calcium in kale, which is lower in oxalates, is better absorbed by our body than the calcium in milk. So it's not that, you know, all plant-based foods have an issue with calcium. That's good to know. Um, Also, okay, so vitamin D. And you have said that it acts a little bit different than all the other vitamins and the way that we take in the vitamins. So question about vitamin D. Where can we find vitamin D? Also, do we have side effects um, when we run low? I mentioned that in the past, my vitamin D was low. And recently, I was doing a little bit of research into mushrooms and read that you can obtain vitamin D from mushrooms. Is that true? Yeah. So vitamin D is a tricky one because it is, you know, classified as a vitamin, but it acts almost like a hormone in our body. And we're still really discovering all of the different roles and, and, you know, contributions that it has. Um, Our main way of getting vitamin D is from the sun. It's very low in most foods, plant-based and animal foods. So the sun exposure is really the the you know best way to get it. A dermatologist might debate that, um, and I know that that's a concern for a lot of people. But most of us don't get regular sun exposure because we're talking like twenty to thirty minutes on you know our limbs on on major parts of our body with no sunscreen, no long sleeve shirt on at height uh, at the height of the day. So a lot of people aren't getting that. Most people aren't getting that. So I recommend that everyone get their vitamin D levels checked because it's really common to be low in vitamin D. And then you can supplement with uh, D3 
which is the best form to supplement with. And, you know, one note about D3 is that there is an animal-derived type of D3, uh, which comes from sheep's wool. And then there is a vegan type of D3, which is from lichen or a, a bacteria. So, if, you know, if that's a concern for you, then you'll want to look for the lichen uh, source of vitamin D3. Uh, and then you mentioned mushrooms. So, yes, it is possible to get uh, vitamin D from mushrooms, but I don't really consider that to be a reliable source. So th this has to be mushrooms that were grown in the sun. So you have to verify that because not all mushrooms are, you know, they're farmed or, or grown, you know, in an industrialized way. Some say that you can take the mushrooms out of your fridge and set them in the sun and then they'll absorb vitamin D. But all in all, vitamin D is so important and most people are deficient in it that I don't see that as the best way uh, to go about it because you could, you know, get in trouble and, and uh, not get what you need from that route. It does make sense that a lot of people grow and have like these small grow houses. I don't know what they're called, um, but uh, they're usually indoors in a very cool space or probably I don't even know if they require humidity because I've never grown mushrooms, but I've mm -hmm. gotten really interested. And that's part of the benefits of being plant-based is that you start to discover all these foods that you weren't eating before. And so for me, uh, it's become mushrooms. And I don't know if you know about Central Market. They tend to be, it's like H-E-B and Central Market are Texas-based grocery mm -hmm. stores. And the one not far from me has this amazing selection of mushrooms. There's like the lion's mane, the shiitake or maitake, mm -hmm. and then the blue oyster mushrooms. And I mean, there's just so many different ways that we can sample the, um, not different ways, but different types of mushrooms that I'm interested interested in now. So I said, Oh, I wonder if I can get mm -hmm. vitamin D, but you're right. I don't know how they're grown. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 It's hard to verify that, but you're right. There are so many different varieties that, that yeah. shouldn't stop it. you from exploring them. <laughs> That's right. And by the way, can we, can you throw in there? What, are, why do we want to eat mushrooms? Cause I know it's part of Dr. Gregor's daily dozen as well. Yeah. Well, there are lots of reasons. I mean, if you, you know, think about it, the fungi kingdom is an entirely separate kingdom from the plant kingdom. So it's kind of a separate food group that we, you know, don't often include in our, in the American culture, at least. Um, but also it, it has umami, which is the fifth flavor. So we think of sweet, salty, bitter, and sour. And then umami is like a savory flavor. Mushrooms are great sources of that savory umami flavor. So cooking with them can kind of give you that, you know, we, we associate umami with meat and animal-based foods, that savory flavor. Uh, so mushrooms are a really good replacement uh, for that. Absolutely. I love them. Uh, okay. Uh, going back to some of the other concerns that people have, what else is on your list? So, you know, protein is one, of course, that comes up quite a bit. And, you know, although our culture has led us to believe that, you know, we are all, we all have a protein deficiency, you know, that's usually not the case. However, it is really important for women, especially during pregnancy, uh, when protein needs go up and postmenopause, uh, when we want to, you know, preserve lean muscle mass. So getting those protein rich plant foods is really important. So things like tempeh, tofu, beans, uh, legumes, lentils, nuts and seeds, those are all really great sources and even whole grains, you know, have protein in them. And then along those lines is uh, soy that often comes up with women's health and, you know, whether or not it's safe. So, you know, the concern there is that soy contains isoflavones, which is, you know, a plant estrogen or phytoestrogen. And, the concern is that, you know, do, do isoflavones act the same in the body as estrogen does? And, you know, could that be dangerous? And it turns out that they don't act the same. So they bind differently to the receptors in our body. And so they're not interchangeable. And in fact, soy has a lot of protective qualities for things like breast cancer. In menopause, it actually can help reduce, dramatically reduce hot flashes. Uh, you know, I know a lot of women have found benefit in that. So, um, you know, that, that always comes up. 
So is it also helpful at a younger age? So if women start at a young age as teenagers consuming soy, could that help prevent some of the hormonal problems that they could possibly develop throughout life? Yes. Some of the effects of soy have, you know, in other cultures where it is common to eat soy, you know, at a, at a very young age, we don't often think of that in the American diet, but in other cultures that um, have been studied, it does actually have protective effects later in life for things like bone health and, and hormones. Mm, all right. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You mentioned protein, and we are actually going to talk about how you like helping women heal from diet culture. As you mentioned protein, I was reminded of a guest who came on who battled for many, many years with disordered eating, and she would you know, alternate between one or the other, you know, um, binging or anorexia. And uh, when she finally got help and had her labs drawn, she was actually protein deficient. And we know, Kaylee, at least we hear this a lot from um, physicians in the plant-based world, that protein deficiency is rare. However, (laughs) when we're speaking about being heavily underweight or malnutrition, that could be a different case. So you like working with women, again, healing from the diet culture and taking a non-diet approach to plant-based nutrition. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, sure. And I'm so glad that you brought that up because a lot of those things that we hear in plant-based nutrition, you know, about protein or about fats, it's not that those things aren't true, but looking at it through the lens of women's health and a lot of the issues that women, you know, can suffer from or come up against, it's really important to not, you know, de-emphasize protein too much or de-emphasize fat too much. So that's, you know, a lot of what the non-diet approach is about. So for those people who aren't familiar with that phrase, diet culture, it's any messaging that values thinness, appearance, and the shape of our body above health and well-being. So health and well-being aren't at the center. It's kind of more the vanity metrics that are at the center. And so examples are you know, heavily focusing on weight loss, which we know that there are many ways that you can lose weight that are not you know, supporting your health and well-being. You know, using words like slim or skinny in marketing, we see like skinny popcorn and slimming of, of different things. And, and I also consider binary or black and white thinking to be part of this. So really extreme do's and don'ts lists or extreme restriction can be part of this. And, you know, this, this diet culture um, is mostly targeted at women and it impacts women pretty heavily and it contributes to eating disorders, as you mentioned. And, you know, anyone can suffer from an eating disorder, but they're actually 4.5 times higher in women than in men. And they're the second deadliest mental illness, uh, which a lot of people don't know. So it's really important that we're aware of that. We're aware of the language that we're using and the approach that we're taking when we're helping someone change the way that they eat. And so I really like to work with women to kind of shift their perspective so that they're coming at plant-based nutrition from a place of self-care where their health and well-being is at the center. That's the goal versus these other, um, you know, diet culture metrics. You just answered the other question that I had here, which was how to approach plant-based nutrition without turning it into a diet. You know, we are aware that many people come into this way of living because the first thing they want to do is lose weight. And uh, so you support women in making that, you know, in reaching the goal of losing weight, but adopting it as a lifestyle and also as a way of taking care of themselves, sort of like a fine line, Kaylee, like I think sometimes that, you know, people post like on social media pre and post uh, lifestyle changes. And so Mm -hmm. you usually it's about weight. And so we want to encourage the women and we want to give them a high five and say good things about their journey. And at the same time, we don't want to encourage people becoming obsessed about weight. So it's a, it's a difficult topic. Yes, it definitely is. And it's definitely, definitely a fine line for sure. And, you know, weight in general is not always the most reliable metric of our health. And so I always encourage the women that I work with to 
Like it's okay if that's one of their goals, but to ask them to kind of put that aside and pick some other meaningful ways to measure their health. So their stress levels or how their, you know, their energy levels, how they're feeling in their body versus just, you know, what the scale says. Absolutely. So you are board certified in lifestyle medicine and you're passionate about other areas of lifestyle medicine in addition to nutrition. Is there another lifestyle pillar that you think is really important for women to focus on? Yeah. So I think they're all, of course, very important, but there's one that's not technically defined as a pillar, but I think it's really uh, important for women to know about, and that's environmental toxin exposure. And it's a little difficult to not come off as alarmist when I talk about this because it's often, you know, a stone that a lot of people haven't turned over yet. And when you do, uh, it's kind of like your maybe a lot of people's initial introduction into plant-based eating. It's, you know, you, you didn't know what you didn't know and you discover all sorts of information. So environmental toxins is very similar. And, you know, when I say that I'm talking about things in you know, plastics, cleaning products, body care products, pesticides, herbicides, and it's impossible to uh, completely avoid environmental toxins. You know, if you live in a city, you're exposed to pollution in the air, you know, all the building materials and furniture and, uh, you know, textiles that we are around have these environmental toxins in them. But the point is to lower your body burden or, or decrease your exposure as much as possible. And this is particularly important for women because number one, women are more exposed to these toxins. So it's estimated that if a woman uses about 12 personal care products in a day, she's exposed to 168 different chemicals just from those 12 products. So if you start adding up, you know, your shampoo, your conditioner, your lotion, um, cosmetics that you use, it's really easy to get to 12 products. And then secondly, these toxins have, um, you know, a unique detrimental effect on women's health. So they're connected to um, reproductive issues, neurological issues, menstrual cycle disruption, premature puberty, premature menopause, which is um, actually correlated with cardiovascular disease risk. So that's, you know, an important marker, endometriosis, infertility, PCOS. Uh, so, you know, we want to lower our exposure to these as much as possible. Are you also saying in terms of cleaning products, not just touching the product, but inhaling the product can actually mm -hmm. affect us as well? Yeah. So fragrances are an endocrine disruptor, which is a category of environmental toxins that act as hormones in our body. So the environmental working group actually has a list of the dirty dozen endocrine disruptors to avoid. So you might be familiar with their dirty dozen clean 15 for produce. Uh, they also have that list for environmental toxins. So anything that you're inhaling, like fragrances, perfumes, um, you know, those are all potentially toxic. I mentioned in the past that years ago, I stopped using a lot of these products. I, not that I'm that informed, but I became highly sensitive to many things. So I, I can no longer wear perfume, you know, fragrances. I can't light a, a, a candle typically because I'm highly sensitive. I get headaches. Um, definitely cannot have a lot of cleaning products in my house either. So when I am out and about in grocery stores, especially the ones that sell more natural products, I do tend to gravitate towards those aisles that have products for women, for people in general, but I'm, I'm always browsing to see what they have because I am aware of some of these things. So, and the reason that I bring that up is I was wondering how women can reduce their exposure. Should we try alternative products or just kind of refrain from using? things like I've kind of stopped using hair products a long time ago and I stopped using the regular um, deodorant many years ago. So the same thing with no fragrances, but in makeup as well, I think, right? Is, does makeup also affect us? Yes, absolutely. You know, we, if we think of our skin as our, you know, largest organ and it is absorbent, anything that we're putting on our skin is making its way inside of our body as well. So it's really about, you know, maybe eliminating some products. Maybe there are some things that you're using, like a perfume, for example, that you, you know, decide you don't need anymore. It's not worth the risk. Uh, and then just making swaps. And I know this can be overwhelming when you start to 
open, you know, your medicine cabinet or the, you know, cabinet under the sink with the cleaning supplies in it. But just making simple swaps can be, um, you know, over time can be really effective uh, because you can actually reduce your, the toxins in your blood really quickly from making those changes. And with cleaning products, it doesn't have to be expensive. That's another thing that, you know, similar to switching to plant-based eating, a lot of people have a perception that it's expensive. This is another area. It can be expensive, but it can also be really economical. So for example, I clean my house with vinegar, baking soda, and lemon juice. And, um, you know, you'd be amazed what you can do with those ingredients. Right. I was going to say, I've heard you can make your own detergent and all sorts of things. And Mm -hmm. I started using Dr. Bronner's soap many, many years ago, but Dr. Brenner's soap can actually be used to clean and to wash. You can brush your teeth with it. You can wash your hair. You can do um, your laundry by hand if you wanted to with Dr. Brenner's. I'm not promoting it, but, and I've also noticed like um, at Trader Joe's, they have sort of a line of products as well. They have a basic shampoo and conditioner that is paraben free. So that's the main thing that we're looking at when it comes to the shampoo and conditioner is um, are the parabens, right? And how they can affect us. Yeah, parabens are one of them. And then there you know, are several other categories that you want to look for. And a good resource is the Environmental Working Group's Skin Deep uh, Cosmetic Database. So you can go on and type in any product, uh, brand name and the specific product, and it will actually give you a rating for that product because a lot of these chemicals are not regulated. They haven't been tested for human health. And uh, so you want to kind of do your own research. Okay. I like this. And Kaylee, you said it's not really one of the pillars of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, but maybe it needs to be. Uh, But I'm so glad that you're the one that is addressing this because if we're really wanting to look at our lifestyle and we want to see like, how can we make changes to enhance our health? And we do it, you know, through nutrition and exercise and stress management and all that good stuff, then yeah, we should consider also the products that we put on our skin surround us every day. This is a great topic. And I I'm wondering even in your plant-based mavens group, if this is something that women can have more of a conversation about and share products or share more information on how they're making that transition to healthier products. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a great idea. And I do have a free guide that people can download on campus Mavens about low toxin living and kind of goes through the four steps that I recommend people take, which I'm happy to share here as well. Um, But then also some products um, and brand recommendations to get people started. Awesome. This is great. Okay. So now going back to food, Uh, because this is one reason that we had you on here. You're an expert registered dietitian Mm -hmm. who contributes to so much literature that's very beneficial to us. So what are some practical steps that women can take to start transitioning so that they can eat more plant-based foods? Yeah. So the first step, which is maybe a less, less practical and kind of an ongoing thing is to really connect to kind of your vision for your life, your deeper why for doing this, and also start to cultivate that self-care mindset that we talked about. Because, you know, as we mentioned, you can approach plant-based eating as a diet, like any other diet, um, and go on and off of it like a diet and let it kind of toss you around. Or you can approach it from a place of self-care where it's really truly a lifestyle change. It's truly about your health and well-being. So, um, you know, shifting that mindset and doing that work is really important. And then, you know, from there, you can start to get more tangible. So one of the roadmaps that I really love that's in that plant-based nutrition quick start guide from the Nutrition Project is uh, enjoy, adapt, explore. And so the first step is enjoy. And that represents identifying plant-based meals that you already enjoy. So what are some meals that are plant-based that you already eat, that you already like, Um, you know, whether it's bean burritos or a bean-based chili that you like. And then from there, you can go on to adapt. So after you've identified some things you already know how to make, you already know that your family likes and you're eating more of those, then you can start adapting some of the things that you typically eat. So replacing the meat with beans in a, in, um, in a burrito, for example, or replacing the meat with tofu 
um, for example. So just making little tweaks to some meals that you really love. And then lastly is to explore. So that's when you can start to, you know, buy cookbooks and look for new recipes online and, you know, browse the grocery store and find new ingredients to try. And I find that a lot of people like to start at the end and they end up giving up because that explore step can feel overwhelming when you're new to it. So it's easier to start with the familiar, kind of build up your confidence and then start to branch out from there. I'm laughing inside because that's sort of a mistake that I made, Kaylee, is that I I have like a binder real thick. A ton of recipes is what I got initially. And then like, I just couldn't move on any of it. Mm-hmm. And so what happens when you talk about adapt is uh, the way that I look at it is look at the foods that you already like and just make healthier versions. So my mm-hmm. husband comes from a Pakistani family. I come from a Mexican family. And so that turned out to be what really worked for us. What foods do we like already? And uh, because we were exploring early on with other things that we normally would never eat. Like I didn't grow up with shepherd's pie. You know, it's just not, it wasn't traditional for me and I didn't like it. And uh, so once we got that down and we found that we had a lot of things in common, like the, you know, like the rice and beans in our, in our backgrounds, but also the spices. Mm -hmm. So that really helped out. And now we're branching out to try and other things that, you know, we didn't grow up with. And uh, because we know more about spices now, the foods taste even more delicious. Um, So I, I like that too. So basically adding rather than focusing on subtracting Mm -hmm. is what you're saying. Okay. And that's right. What else can we do? I know one of them on your list is uh, meal planning and batch cooking. And that's, man, that's like strategy right there. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, that can be, that can be a tough one. And, you know, I really like to kind of rebrand that as, you know, time saving and kitchen shortcuts, because that's really what it's about and what it provides for you. So, you know, meal planning help just helps you prevent that, you know, time when you're standing in front of the fridge at six o'clock on a weeknight, you're starving, your family's starving. And, you know, the drive-through is looking really good (laughs) and really easy at that point. So if you have something planned and you have something prepped, then you're a lot more likely to follow through with that in those moments. So it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to plan out every single meal. And I tell people to really, there is no right way to meal plan. I tell people to really customize it for their life and let it work for them. Don't make it a chore, let it work for you. So that's the point of it. So what nights are you, do you know you're going to be really busy that you need something really quick, you know, plan for those nights so that you have something there that you can whip up and, and, less than 30 minutes. And then with the batch cooking, you know, that's really about just taking some shortcuts. So using the instant pot or using a crock pot, um, making a big batch of grains like quinoa so that you can have that throughout the week. And that's really just to make your life easier. If you can, you know, find those little shortcuts. And it does get easier. Everyone is different and there is no right way. Some people like to prep all their meals on a Sunday and eat the same thing every day. I like to have a variety of that, a little bit different, but I don't really branch out that much. I know what my favorite foods are and I keep it simple. And you mentioned umami with mushrooms. And so you describe that. You also talk about browsing recipes and cookbooks. And that's at the point where we're ready to sort of branch out after we've already established sort of like a nice routine and um, enhanced, improved our favorite meals. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And, you know, kind of something that you alluded to with keeping it simple is, you know, a really good strategy is to just find three to five staple meals uh, that you know your family likes, that you know you like, that are easy for you to put together and that you pretty much have the ingredients on hand for you know, at any given time so that you can lean on those because that's how most people eat anyway. Most people aren't eating a new recipe. At least I'm certainly not eating a new recipe every single night. So if you have those things that you just kind of know by heart, uh, you can whip through the grocery store and grab what you need and, you know, whip those things up, that really helps shift uh, when you're transitioning. Absolutely. 
This is great. And a couple of other things that can sometimes be challenging for people making the change. And that's, you know, the family maybe not necessarily being on board and also just living life on a daily basis, you know, dining out or traveling. Sometimes there can be some obstacles there as well. Do you have any tips for us on those? Yeah. So, you know, we all have our challenging situations or our trigger situations, whether that's, you know, family get together uh, or traveling or, you know, happy hour after work, those sorts of things. So my recommendation is for people to identify those things ahead of time. So what situations are going to be challenging for you? Uh, You know, what's going to make it difficult to kind of do your thing and stick to what you want to stick with and make a plan in advance for those. So how will you, how will you handle those? How will you uh, speak to the people that might, you know, push back or question your choices and and just having that uh, plan in place ahead of time can help people go into that situation with a lot more uh, ease and, you know, come out of it successful. So, you know, traveling, for example, you know, I love to stop at the grocery store as soon as I get to wherever I'm going, or if we're on the road, you know, stop at the grocery store because you can get a lot of fresh food and, um, you know, pick up some staples. There's a lot of great things that, you know, instant oatmeal and things that you can make in a hotel microwave. Um, so there are definitely ways to, to do it. I love that. Okay. And so as we're wrapping up, how can people connect with you and how can they learn more about plant-based mavens? Yeah. So they can go to plantbasedmavens.com and explore there. There's lots of recipes and articles, as I mentioned, and lots of free goodies as well. So um, I mentioned the low toxin living guide. There's also fertility and pregnancy checklists for uh, plant-based women. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's a free free mini course, uh, kind of for women who are just getting started, uh, the five foundational foods that are, um, all women should be eating. Um, and you know, we mentioned the kind of non-diet and diet culture, and I'm certified in intuitive eating, which is an approach that really promotes that and helps women or people, anyone learn how to incorporate external information. So whether that's nutrition recommendations or things that we see from the external world with our internal information. So what's best for us, what feels good in our body. So really that self-care approach that I mentioned. So I'll be launching a a free mini course on that soon as well for people who want to learn more about that. And then plant-based mavens on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you so much for all this information. I know that the women that are listening will find a lot of value in answering some of those questions, some of the concerns that people have, but also the tips that you've given us on how to transition to make it easier for us and for our families. And then finally, uh, we are all going to be excited about plant-based mavens to be part of that community uh, where we can share information and feel safe and feel like someone is listening to our concerns. So thank you, Kaylee, for everything that you're doing and for being on the show today. Oh, right back at you, Maya. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. You've been listening to the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions Podcast with your host, Maya Acosta. If you've enjoyed this podcast, do us a favor and share with one friend who can benefit from this episode. Feel free to leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts. That helps us to spread our message. Thanks for listening.